God's so faithful. Jesus is so faithful and he loves you so very much. You know, um, things are just not the same as they used to be. There's shifting and changing going on in our personal lives as well as the church world and the world across. As you can see, many of those countries that are Ukraine, I've been there. And my friend, I have a friend of mine, and I don't want to name her because I didn't get her permission. It was her father that was one of those little boys 90 years ago that pulled his suitcase from Ukraine to Poland. And so when I talk to her, she knows the pain and the agony that those children are going through. So I just want you to continue to pray for the missionaries in Ukraine and Poland and all the surrounding areas that's there. The people, they're people just like you and me. And I believe a great awakening is getting ready to happen in all of those nations. I believe that God is just stirring something up. I don't know exactly what, but I know he's stirring something up just in those nations. But he's stirring something up here in Oklahoma City. Hallelujah. And wherever you're watching from today. I, uh, several weeks ago, the Lord gave me this passage. And I just want to talk to you a little bit. I told you I was just going to tell you some stories today. So if you're new to the congregation, we really do like have points and big words and things like that. They come out every once in a while. But I'm just who I am. Just like you're just who you are. And I have to deliver what God has given me today for you and for me. And this has been in my heart and in, in just the last few weeks. And thank you for praying for me last week. I've been having a little bit of blood pressure issues. And some of you that know that. You just, sometimes you just got to do what you have to do. So thank you for continuing to pray for me. But last month, I had the great opportunity to uh, be in the Westminster Abbey in London, England. And how many of you have ever been there? Yeah, it's just a beautiful cathedral, is it not? A beautiful church. I had that wonderful opportunity. I went over to visit my oldest daughter and her children. And we were actually being tour guides to Pastor Les Bowling and his wife. Now, I'm... I've been to England lots and lots and lots of times. And um, so Amanda has too. And I've, I, I, actually, she lives over there now. So we really thought we had this thing in the bag. And so she lives in Coventry now. So we had to take a train from where she lives to into England and then do the undergrounds and then come up. So we, we really thought we knew what we were doing. And actually, we probably did, but we didn't ever let Les and Sheila know that. So they really wanted to go to see Westminster Abbey. And, and those of you that have been there, I mean, I always think the best thing to do is take the re big red bus, you know, that, where it takes you all around and puts you on the stops and you don't have to do anything. Except there were several exits, I mean, things to get off at the big red bus at Westminster Abbey. And we chose the wrong one. So thankfully, all along the way, there was a nice, beautiful bridge. And we just acted like, we're here for a photo op. Yes. And Amanda and I are going, we don't really know what we're doing at all. But we will never let them know that we do not know what we're doing. And if you, wanna, if you actually talk to my daughter, she probably has a different insight than that. But that's the truth. 
and she'll be here preaching for us next month, May, and so she, she'll be here on the 22nd, so uh, if she decides she'll say something, she'll say something, but I, I can always have a microphone like I did with my husband and rebuttal her, but the bottom line is we got confused at Westminster Abbey. And so we walked a little bit longer than we thought we were going to walk. And the only part about that is, is that when we came out of Westminster Abbey, we thought we would pick up the last bus. <laughs> that particular stop was the last bus, and it was gone. So now we had to walk to the next stop to try to find a bus. And we're, I mean, finally she's like, Mom, you and Les stay here, and, she la- and I'll run. So all of a sudden, she's like from here probably to those doors, and she's going, ah, come on. And so anyway, we, 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 we ran and waddled as fast as we could to jump on that bus. And then we get on the bus, and we think we're going home, and they stopped the bus. It was the end of the tour. A little ways in. And then we had to walk around Buckingham Palace, through the gardens, around the corner to pick up the underground to be able to get back to the train that was at 7 o'clock. So you can't miss the train because it was the last train going to her house. So we found ourselves in a, in a anyway, we walked a lot. And then we never let them know that we didn't know what we were doing. But we learned which exit, well, we call them exits, what stop to get off at the bus. Anyway, but it's a beautiful church. It has beautiful architecture, beautiful worship. I've been there when they've had services. But I found myself, there's also is 3,000 people in there that are, uh, that's their burial area. So when you're walking through Minster Abbey, you're actually walking over people which always is kind of funky to me that I'm walking over people, but that it, there's so many people that are buried there. There's kings, there's statesmen, there's poets, scientists, warriors, musicians. But the thing that got me, I sat down, been there many, many times, been there with my husband, and I was sitting down because Pastor Les and Sheila obviously had not been there before, and I have. And I said to myself, I began to search about David Livingstone. Because I found myself looking at his, his place that he was buried at. And I began to look at his history. How many know who David Livingstone is? Yeah, some of you do, some of you don't. He was a missionary from Scotland. He worked at a cotton mill. And he began studying medicine and theology. And he decided to become a medical missionary. He, he was convinced that he could reach the people of Africa and introduce them to Christianity while freeing slaves for freedom. He began all of his explorations. He actually was the one who discovered Victoria Falls. He became one of the most beloved missionaries to this day. He loved Africa so much that he buried his heart in Africa, and his body is what in Westminster Abbey. That's how much he loved Africa. But one fact we don't know about him, and maybe you do, but I didn't, as I was looking up the facts as I was sitting in there, is that David Livingstone really didn't want to go to Africa. He wanted to go to China. And China had broke out into a war during that time, so the mission board came to David Livingstone and said, 
you know what? You can't go to China. You're going to have to go to Africa. So sometimes God doesn't move you just for you. He moves you for others. Sometimes God is always moving generationally and we can't see it. But he sometimes moves us for the descendants that are coming after you. Because when David Livingston went to Africa, it opened doors of opportunity for thousands and thousands and thousands of missionaries that have come after him. He moves us into positions that we never thought we would be in in a lifetime. You don't know why you did it. You don't know why you said yes, but you did. And so he thought he was going to China, but God called him to Africa. See, sometimes we get caught in our lives just praying about situations when God is calling us to pray about generations. He sees generationally and we see situationally. But it all in one movement, that one small yes, I will go to Africa, changed everything for David Livingstone. God is always thinking generationally. We get caught up situationally. God is always moving generationally. And we find ourselves always praying about situations we should not get caught in when God has a plan. Sometimes we think we're going to China. And God says, no, you're going to Africa. Who knew what God had a plan? In Psalms 145, it says, one generation shall, shall command, command the works of to another. They will declare the mighty acts of God. I don't know if you remember, but I was raised in a generation, and I, I, I feel for some of the children now that there's no front porch stories from grandma and grandpa. There's no back porch stories from grandma and grandpa. I can remember sitting on the, my grandmother would sit on the swing when I would go visit her in Pennsylvania and she'd be knitting or shucking corn or snapping beans. And she would always tell the stories about how good God was. She'd always be telling the stories about things that happened with her and my grandfather, and she'd tell the stories. And I just thought sometimes in my life, where have the stories gone? Where have the stories gone? Are we sitting with our children popping beans or whatever we're doing, and are we telling our stories about how good God is? How he got us through this situation and got us through that situation? As a small child, I would just be... She'd be snapping those beans so fast. I mean, you know, I know she just put up with us. I remember one time when she went, had me, I said, I want to pick corn. I want to pick corn. She goes, all right, Kathy, go pick the corn. I was so proud of all my corn. I came in and I put it on for my grandmother's table because they had, you know, I was raised in Florida, so I didn't have gardens and corn and things like that. We, we bought things in a can. And actually, when I went to Pennsylvania, I used to feel sorry for my cousins because they had to eat everything out of the garden and couldn't eat anything out of a can. That's how dumb I was. But I, I said, I want to do the corn. So I went out and shucked. I got all this corn, and I brought it in. And I was so proud of it. I put it on the table, and she began to shuck it, and she started chuckling because none of it was ready. And so all of my corn for dinner, that's how crazy I was and didn't know anything about gardens. 
they all laughed at me for weeks and years and probably talked about me and some of their stories whenever we went back to Florida. But I, I said all that to say that we don't need to stop the stories. See, our journey this year as the Gate Church has been all about our story. It's about staying in our story. It's about the stories that God is doing in our midst, right? It's, it's your story. It's my story. It's part of a greater story. God is doing something in our stories. As I was thinking the other day, and I was thinking about the word table, how many times in a day do we say table? Have you ever thought about it? I thought I decided to write it down. Set the table. Clean the table. That meet me at the table. Go sit at the table. Eat the table. Color at the table. Play games at the table. Sew at the table. Craft. Lay it down. I mean, like, how, how many have you ever done that? Where, where are the keys? They're at the table. Where do I put these groceries? Put them on the table. How many times do we talk about that in our daily, and we don't even know it? Well, how about this? What about a restaurant? I met with somebody recently They said, I'm already seated at the table. Just turn to the left. Or you call and they say, how many will be at your table? Six. I'll meet you at the table. We don't even realize how many times we do the table. Conversations at the table. Business deals are done at the table. I don't know about you, but my husband and I used to sit, and Pastor Jay would know this, and anybody that's hung out with us a little bit, we sat there so long talking, we'd have to pay the servers more, pe more, more money. Extra tip. And my husband was always one, and myself too, if we sat there too long, and they could have had more people at their table, we would pay them the tip as if there was somebody already there. That's just good, good things to do, just FYI, if you sit there too long. But it was always at the table. Encouragement and love could come from the table. Things could happen at the table. Our very first date was at Pizza Hut at the table. I mean, I don't know how many people go to Pizza Hut anymore, but that was a big thing when I got married 44 years ago. I thought I was really up there going to Pizza Hut. Now I look back on it and go, wow, Pizza Hut. When I tell my grandkids, well, Papa and I, went, our first date was at Pizza Hut. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, but that was a big thing to get pizza back then. So we met at, we met at the Pizza Hut, and that was our first date. And then everybody knows the story from there. We were married 43 years before he passed away, but um, I still love the Pizza Hut story. But in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the power of the table. And um, I just love the fact that God is calling us to the table. God's calling us to the table. <clears throat> he called himself to the table. The gospel is about the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. The word gospel comes from the old English word good. The spell, the news, it means news, a story. The gospel is the good news or a story. And everything in the gospels is about Jesus' birth, Jesus' death, Jesus' life, his resurrection. Jesus called the 12 to his own. He called the people to his own. And now he's calling us to his own. I want to read out of Matthew today. And I'm just, like I said, I just want to tell some stories. I'm just going to give it to you the way Jesus gave it to me. But I'm going to read out of the Message Bible, and I want you to turn with me to Matthew 9. Now, I have my Bible up here, but it's NIV, and I'm not going to 
read from it, but I am going to read out of the Message Bible. Now, Jesus was in the book of Matthew. He was already doing lots of things and lots of miracles, and he had already called some of his disciples with him. And they'd been walking along, and Jesus was doing all kinds of things. And then the, the Scripture says, and I'm going to read it entirety, then I'm going to go back and break it. Passing along, Jesus was just walking along one day. Can you imagine he's just walking along? Isn't that great? He was walking along in here too today, y'all. He sees you exactly where you are. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. So who we're going to talk about today is one of the disciples is Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me, Matthew. So Matthew stood up and followed him. There's other translations that say Matthew, as he was there, he shut the book and followed him. In verse 10, later when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with, with his uh, followers, a lot of disruptible characters, I love that word, disruptible characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping that kind of company, they had a fit. I don't know if you've ever been around anybody that had a fit before. I've had a few fits in my life. Maybe y'all, nah, it's okay. I'll just be up here and confess myself. Okay. So when the Pharisees saw him keeping that kind of company, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. I love that too. And they lit into him. I don't know if you've ever had anybody lit into you, but I have. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with those uh, crooks and riffraff? I just love the Message Bible and how they put all this. Crooks and riffraff. I just love that. And then in 12 and 13, Jesus was overhearing and shot back. I love that part too. Shot back. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I am after mercy, not religion. I am here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Wow. Wow. We see Jesus and all of his mercy and everything. But can you imagine the other four disciples walking around and going, Jesus, really? A tax collector? Like we were fishermen. I mean, I can see us as fishermen, but really, Jesus, a tax collector? But as I was reading about Matthew, and I began to put some things together, and I just began to see that Matthew, one of the disciples, one of the, the that Jesus called to himself, one of the 12, let's look at his history a little bit. Let's look and see who he really was at that moment that he was there. He was a Jew. He held one of the most despised positions in all of Israel. He was a tax collector. I, I don't know about you, but I don't, still don't like those guys too much. And maybe you guys, if you're one in here, I'm sorry. I mean, I do like you, just don't like what you do. But anyway, so... It's okay. Now, if I said something wrong, bleep that part out. But he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated. They were hated. I don't hate you. They were hated by all men. They were even more despised than the Roman soldiers that actually kept Rome safe. Now, that's hated. I mean, that's like so hated that it's hated, hated, like down below hate. And here's Matthew, a Jew. That was taking tax, taking money to help the Jewish out, to, to help the Romans out. Tax collectors had no moral integrity. 
they would not hesitate to put force on you if you did not pay. For the Jewish man, like Matthew, he was a Jewish man. It was even worse. You know why? Because the profession that he chose, he was disowned by his family. He was thought of as a traitor in his own country, in his nation. He had to keep distance from everybody, and nobody wanted to be around him. He was a complete outcast to society because of his profession. He was a sinner. He was forbidden to go to church. He was forbidden to worship in the temple. He was forbidden to eat even at the table. Matthew didn't even have a seat at the table. He didn't fit in with the Jews. He didn't fit in over here. He only could fit in with the, with the tax collectors, all alike. He was lonely. Can you imagine? Let's think about Matthew here. He's rejected by his family. He's a traitor. He's making money, yes, but he, but he had no friends. He was a complete outcast of everything. I just can picture Matthew, right? Here he is. He made this profession. He wants to, like, go eat dinner, a Shabbat. They had Shabbat. He wasn't even allowed to go there. He wants to come over here. He can't be really over here with the religious people. He can't be anywhere because he is an outcast to society. But on an ordinary day, like they sang today, just one look. Just one look. On an ordinary day, Matthew 9, 9 says, an ordinary day, this guy named Jesus was passing along. And Jesus saw Matthew. Can you imagine? Here's Matthew. See, the Lord gave me a, 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 like a prophetic thought pattern of three tables. So here's Matthew. Matthew's possess, uh, profession needed to have a table. He was doing his thing at the table. He was counting things at the table. People would come up and he'd pocket some, take some. Pocket some, take some. Here's Matthew, but nowhere to go. Only this table. Here he is. Matthew's at this table, and he can't, he can't do anything, really. But Jesus one day, can you imagine? Here's, here he is. And Jesus one day locks eyes with Matthew. He said, Matthew. Now, first of all, how do you know his name? Maybe he paid taxes. I don't know. Matthew, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. I can just see Matthew now, because I said before, one of the translations says he shut the book, and he began to follow Jesus. Just like that. He said, follow me. Matthew was leaving everything that he knew. Matthew was leaving that old life. Matthew didn't know where he was going or even who he was following, but he said, follow me. Matthew shut the book and followed Jesus. And then this is the wonderful part of the story. As, Matthew, as Jesus just moved right along to the next table. So we're here at this table. Jesus is here. He was there with Matthew all through everything. He was there with Matthew when he was born. He was with Matthew when he 
started his profession. He was with Matthew when he was rejected by his family. He was there. And he moves on to this other table with Matthew. And he says to Matthew, I'm coming to your house. And we're going to sit at the table. Matthew's like, really? So here comes Matthew. I'm sure he had to hurry home and tell the servants, get something going on. I need some pita bread and some hummus, some olives real quick. Jesus and his disciples are coming. So in one quick move, Jesus is here with Matthew at this table. He moves straight along to this table. And he sits himself down. And there the disciples, and I can imagine the disciples are going, what in the world is going on? Can you imagine? We would do that. What's happening, Jesus? This guy's a tax collector. Come on now. We're eating now dinner. Not only did you call him, now we're eating dinner at his house. Like, really? And then nobody's showing up but all the tax collectors and sinners. That's the only people who are showing up for this dinner. And then here's Jesus just reclining, probably eating grapes, hummus, pita bread. I don't know what's happening. But Matthew is at this other table with Jesus. And I love what this says. I'm going to go back here because, it, it, well, this is what it says. It's the religious people walked by and saw it. And this is when the Bible says, you know, in the message Bible, they had a fit. And they lit into Jesus. What kind of example are you setting for all these crooks or for people like us? These, you're sitting down eating with crooks and having a bunch of riffraff. I can just picture Jesus right now, can you? He's like sitting on the other side eating his grapes and hummus. Sitting on the other side of the table just listening. That's how Jesus does, right? He's just listening. Jesus said, the Bible says he was overhearing this. How many understand he's always hearing He's all-knowing. He's all-hearing. He knows exactly what's going on in your life, even this morning, right now, the thoughts that you're having. He knows where you are. But Jesus, overhearing this, he says to them, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? You guys need to go figure this out because I'm after mercy. Not religion. I'm here, like I read before, for the outsider, not to coddle the insiders. So can you picture this with me? Here's Jesus right here. And what happens in our lives is we see ourselves right here. And this is my question. The enemy says, wants us to think who we think we are. Who do we think we are? Do we see ourselves in that place of making a mistake? Do we see ourselves in that place of rejection? Do we see ourselves in that place of no return? Do we see ourselves as only being wounded? Do we see ourselves in a place that I can't get, I can't get off this table, Pastor Kathy. I've made too many mistakes in my life. And I'm here to tell you right now, Jesus was at the table. Jesus is at your table this morning. Now you say, well, I'm not really there. I'm not really there. Well, maybe you could be here. Who people think we are. This is kind of a bigger table in my mind. Because this is when you have to step through what the brethren think you are. When people think you are. When you've left that table 
You said, I know what, you know what, I know, I know who I think I am. Jesus is with me. I'm now moving to this table. I'm moving to this table, and this is who people think you are. How much was going on at that table while Jesus was reclining, eating his grapes and hummus? There was all kinds of fits being thrown because you were at the table. Because Matthew was at the table. I don't know about you, but some of my hardest places have been right here. Who people think I am. Who the brethren think I am. Because, you know, when you have religious folk, they want to keep you right here. They want to keep you in the mud. They want to keep you in the quicksand. And you say, wait a minute, Jesus is with me. I'm going to move over here. And then all of a sudden you're faced with the brethren. You're faced with the religious folks. You're faced with the fit throwers. Because you've made a choice to move to this table. And guess what? Jesus is with you here. And why am I saying all that today? Pastor Kathy, I'm saying all that today because Jesus wants you to know what he says you are. You see, Jesus is calling us from this table where we think we're nobodies and made mistakes. We're rejected by even our family. We don't even know what's happening. He's saying, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Come on with me. Take my hand. Can you imagine him just taking Matthew? Take my hand. I, I, come on. Because I'm taking you to this table. This table of who Jesus says we are. At that table, he's calling us to abide with him. It's at that, this table he sees us forgiven. It's at this table he sees us with purpose. It's at that table he sees us with unconditional love. It's at that table he sees the heart which what he gave us. It's at this table that comes with a plan and a purpose. It's at this table that he becomes the great Jehovah God. It's at this table he becomes your healer. It's at this table that he's calling us to a higher place. A different perspective of who he is in our life. It's at that table that God is calling us to. It's at this table of knowing who Jesus says we are. And being okay with it. Because what happens is we want to run back here. And Jesus is going, no, this is who I say you are. Wait a minute, wait a minute, this is more comfortable. No, 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 no. This is who Jesus says I am. He says I have a plan. He says he has a plan for my life. He has a purpose for my life. He is my healer. He's my redeemer. He's love, he loves me unconditionally. This is the table that God is calling us to. This is the table that he called the 12 disciples to. This is the table that he's called us to. To see a higher perspective. See beyond the tr what's happening right now. See beyond and see generationally of what God wants to do. These two yeses makes a bigger yes to what God is calling us to. In John 8, Jesus said, you know the truth 
and the truth will set us free. He sees us through the eyes of mercy. We are chosen by God to spread the gospel of the, of, 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 uh, spread the gospel throughout the world. He's called you to the table. What exactly does that mean? What exactly does that mean? I kind of laid it out for you here, but I just want to tell you one short story, and I'm going to be done. Bishop and I, that's my husband, John Anthony, Tony, Bishop, he had all kinds of names. And I, about seven or eight years into our, our ministry, I don't know about you, but I'll just tell you our story. We were broken, pastoring a church. And I don't know, I'm just going to speak from this perspective. You know, there was like lots of accusations going on. You know, we didn't need end times because we had rumors and rumors of wars. You know, that was going on. We thought we were in the end times because of what was happening. We could not figure out, like, what in the world? But we happen to be in a certain denomination. And when, you, it, when the rumor mill starts, you can't get it back. Once, let me tell you something. Once words are in the atmosphere, you can't get them back. We were young, probably 30. We started pastoring our first church when we were like 23. And so we were probably 30-some years old. And we were broken because of what was happening. We had three little girls. And we felt, can I just be real with you? We felt marked. Because, see, when things began to unravel, your friends run real quick. Now, maybe nobody's had that experience before. But they start peeling off really fast when you start going through some stuff because I don't want to be marked. We found ourselves very alone. We found ourselves broken. We found ourselves in a place that we had no one. We didn't even have anybody we could talk to that would understand what we were going through. Now, I can look at it now years later and know that God was bringing us through that because he knew everything else that was going to happen in our lives. And if we wouldn't have gone through that, we would never be able to go through the next. But at that time, we didn't know what was going on. At that time, we were just like, oh, my God, we're not going to make it. And golly, I look back on it now and go, that wasn't nothing. But at that time, it was something, right? At that time, it was something. And so here we find ourselves in this broken state beyond repair. We felt beyond repair. Now, for those of you that knew my husband, he was a big guy and he was full of wisdom and stature and could preach the paint off the walls and the paint would already be coming down in here today. But that preacher that could preach the paint off the wall was broken inside of a sanctuary with him and I and nobody to talk to. No one that we could really share with what we, our heart beating was. And then all of a sudden, two people, two ministry couples took a chance on us. 
One was Dill and Jean Tidry. The other was Pastor Tom Peters, both spiritual fathers in our life. Why do I weep? Because those relationships are still today. But they saw a broken couple, 30 years old, and invited us to the table. They invited us to the table. They listened to our story. They had compassion on us. And they began to pour in the oil and the wine. They began to pour in healing and restoration. They began to to invite us to things where we were not supposed to be at. Because there were far other more important preachers at the table than us. We were just praying that somebody would buy our meal because we couldn't even afford to be there. Now, can you imagine Bishop and I splitting a meal? Well, we did because we didn't have no money. But then God spoke to other preachers and they felt sorry for us. And I'm so thankful that we were at that table that with them. But my point is, is that they invited us to a table that we did not belong. They began to pour in the oil and the wine. They began to, 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 begin to build a relationship with us. And I want to just tell you something. That one table has been alive for over 30 years. That one table led to over 80 nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That one table has a destiny fellowship of churches. That one table has led us to the very place that we are today at the Gate Church. That one table changed everything because somebody took a chance and invited us to their table. Invited us to a place that we did not deserve. Because, see, we were just coming out of the naysayers where everybody was like, we didn't know what people were thinking. And you know what? Jesus was there. And he used people to invite us to the table. He used people to tell us who Jesus says we were. We were invited to the table. I want to say something to you this morning. You never underestimate the power of a table. You never underestimate the power of a table. You never underestimate the power of one conversation. You never, ever underestimate the power of one invitation. I can remember many times sitting with people right here in this congregation. Pastor Jay was one of them when we met in Scotland, England. That time in Scotland, England put put us on a course that we've never turned back from. Because it was the power of that one conversation at that one table. My own children, with her da- their dad and myself, the power of a table, of dreaming of what God wants to do in their lives. Pastor Cole and Eva, one power of the conversation and an invitation to the power of the table. Now God is saying to this church, it's your invitation to begin to invite people to the table that God has called to you to do. It's your story that's the bigger part of the story. You're going to teach them and show them about Jesus. 
what he sees in them, what he's called them to do. It's who Jesus says you are. I love this part in Matthew 10, 9, 10, and I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible, and I'm almost done, Ashley. It says, don't think you have to have the fundraising campaign together before you start. (laughs) Don't think you have to have a fundraising campaign before you start. That fundraising campaign is full of excuses and the whys I can't and why people won't listen and the things I can't do. I'm challenging this church today. The power of the table of your influence is not going to be stopped because of a fundraising campaign and you're full of excuses. God has a story in you and he wants you to invite people to the table. I just love it. (laughs) Don't think of having a fundraising campaign before you start. I love this part. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. You are the equipment. You are the equipment. God has called these 12 to this table that I'm talking about tonight, today. But God has called you to the greater table. Your story is great as the greater story. It's a part of the greater story. It's your story. Just like David Livingstone thought China was his story, Africa became it. Just like Matthew thought he was going to stay right here as a tax collector. He was going to be no more because of the rejection that he was going through and the loneliness he was going through and the things he was going through. And Jesus came by and found him. (laughs) Jesus was just walking by one day. He was just walking by one day. And he looked at Matthew. And he said, no, follow me. Follow me. I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is walking by your life right now. And he's saying to you, follow me. Follow me. I have something so great for you if you'll just let me show you. I have such a plan and a purpose for you if you'll just shut the book. If you'll just, if you'll just shut the book on what was and take my hand and follow me. I believe today that God is tugging at your heart. I've been wrestling in my spirit as I prayed this week for souls to come to know Christ. So whatever table you find yourself at, maybe you're here. Maybe you can't get over the past. Maybe you can't, you've made such wrong decisions and you feel rejected by yourself. Wherever you are today, God's calling you. 
to a higher place. Maybe you've got caught at this table. The table of the naysayers. The table of what people think of you. And Jesus is saying, follow me. Because I have a greater table for you. And it's this is who I say you are. So this morning, if you find yourself at any one of these tables, I'm going to ask our prayer teams, will they come? But before they do, or they can come, y'all come. This is an old song. You know, I'm notorious for pulling old songs. Bishop was worse. I didn't even know some of the songs he did. But this is a song that in early in our ministry <laughs> we would sing. When we gave altar calls. And I believe Jesus is calling you today. And whatever table you find yourself at, maybe you're here, but you don't know if you believe everything Jesus says about you. And you need prayer. Maybe you haven't come to full circle that who he is in your life, but you want to get there. Maybe you don't have the confidence to pull people around your table because you feel like I'm inadequate. Jesus is here. And if you're at this table or that table, God's calling you today. And this is a sweet song. It's simple. I think everybody in here could sing it, however old it is. I don't even know. Come on to Jesus. Give him your life today. Come on to Jesus. Let him have his way. Let's sing it one more time. yourself at one of these tables, these prayer teams, they want to pray with you. We're going to sing that one more time, maybe two times, maybe three. I'm going to sing it enough times that there's not one person in here that doesn't respond to the nudge of the Holy Spirit that is now, if your heart is pounding and you don't know how to get away with it, get away from it. That's the Holy Spirit in you. He's tugging at your heart. And he wants to heal your past. And he wants to heal you from the naysayers. And he wants to bring you to a table that he says you are. So this morning, I'm going to sing that song a few more times. And I want you to come. I want you to respond. Jesus is calling you today. He's saying, follow me. Follow me. Come on to Jesus, give him your 
maybe this morning um, everybody knows the Lord in this place but I can tell you that I've been around the barn a lot and I do know that we all get caught right here before we're called to this table we get caught right here at this table I have such compassion this morning as I told you this story about Matthew. Matthew had to learn to shut the book and then he had to learn to come through the naysayers and this is where the quicksand happens. This is where the quicksand happens before we can ever get moved to how Christ sees us. I just don't want you this morning to get caught on the quicksand and not be everything that God has called you to be. He's called you to be an overcomer. He's called you to be strong and courageous. He's called you because there's a plan and a purpose in your life. We've said it, and I'll say it again. Every generation matters in this church. You're not too young. And you're not too old. Jesus has a plan for your life. So I'm going to sing that one more time. If you say, you know what, I just want somebody to agree with me because I think I'm supposed to call people to our table. You want somebody to pray with you this morning. You know what, come into agreement with me that I'll have enough confidence to call somebody to my table. You say, well, I don't really have a house. I don't really have this. No, no, no. Jesus said you don't have to have all the equipment. You are the equipment. You are the equipment. You need to tell yourself, I am the equipment. So maybe this morning you want to have somebody pray with you that you'll have confidence to be able to do that. I'm going to sing that one more time before we go into another song. I want you to come and agree for prayer. That's okay. You're not weak because you're agreeing in prayer with somebody. Actually, it makes you strong. So come on to Jesus.
Thank you, Father. The Lord is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God is with you wherever you go. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May the Lord shine upon you and be gracious to you. to sing this song. Would you stand with me? I believe it's a prophetic song for right now. When I first heard this song several months ago, I, I told Ashley, I don't care if you sing it every week because I believe I speak Jesus in the streets. I speak Jesus everywhere I go. I speak Jesus at the table. I speak Jesus in every situation. I speak Jesus generationally. I speak Jesus. So would you stand with us today as we sing this song? I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Over every heart and every mind. Because I know there's peace within your presence. I speak Jesus, oh yes, Lord. We speak Jesus. Jesus. And I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus.
witness this morning. Say, your perfect love is casting out fear. We believe who you are, oh God. You are the God of all power. And it is your will. And it is your and my will. Life and is my here. life is here. So I reach my hands. I reach my hands. To the heavens. To the heavens. We lift our eyes. But my help comes from You know, I've never really been to a church like this. We do believe in healing. We do believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. We do believe that people's lives are being touched and transformed by the power of the living God. We do believe there's a great awakening going to happen in Oklahoma City and here at the Gate Church. We do believe it will not be unusual for signs, wonders, and miracles to happen every time we gather. We do believe in Jesus Christ, the resurrection Lord. We're going into the, into the Easter season. We believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. Everything that was said, even sung this morning, was about him. Everything was about him. If we got to awaken our eyes to know that he is our healer, he is our deliverer, he is the great I am, he is Jesus, and he's calling each one of us today to follow him. Follow me, Jesus. Follow Jesus. Jesus, I want to follow you in everything that we do and say. My greatest love is for you, Jesus. <laughs> and I want to thank you, Lord, for healing the brokenhearted, for healing the lame, for healing us, Lord. I want to thank you, Father, for giving us victory when we didn't feel victorious, to give us courage when we didn't feel very courageous. Father, I want to thank you that we were down and out. You made us up. Father, I want to thank you, God, for allowing us to come to your table today, to allow us to see you at the table today. No matter what the naysayers say, no matter what the profession says, we know that you've called us to your table. You've called us to your table today. And Father, we want to thank you for that. And as these people are still being prayed for, I'm going to release the congregation. But as you go home today, remember one thing. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you and he cares enough about you that he put this service together today and you were sitting on this pew and you came and so we want to thank the Lord today. Father, we give you praise today. We thank you for what you've done today and with the great